CNN chief Chris Licht has been forced to resign. Well, what did Chris Licht do wrong? He got ratings, which apparently is something that CNN is not used to. And look, I'm no fan of Chris Licht, but this tells you everything you need to know about CNN. Licht was pushed out. Why? What was his big crime? He gave a platform to President Trump. That Trump town hall, that got a huge amount of attention. Millions and millions of live viewers, millions more replays. So, like, that town hall got, like, three million more viewers than CNN gets on a typical night. Okay, you would think that Chris Licht would be a hero, but what did CNN staffers, How was what was their response? They had a meltdown. CNN staffers had a meltdown. I mean, this is how messed up that these folks are, that you know, you actually get ratings, but you give a platform to the former president, and then days later, you are forced to resign. So we will get to all of that coming up. So much else to get to. New York City is giving out free crack pipes. You cannot make this stuff up. Mayor Eric Adams wants to pay people in New York City to host illegals in their homes. You have a spare bedroom? Hey, why not invite some illegals to come and hang out? I mean, is, uh, is Eric Adams inviting illegals to his home in Gracie Mansion? Kevin McCarthy uh, has begun proceedings along with James Comer, Jim Comer, to uh, hold Chris Ray, FBI, FBI Director Chris Ray, in contempt of Congress for his refusal to release that document that shows that Joe Biden has accepted millions of dollars in bribes back when he was VP. All of that is coming up. The RNC has released the criteria to qualify for its first debate. It has released the schedule of the debate. Chris Christie, by the way, has no chance of qualifying. He simply does not have the poll numbers. We will get to that coming up. So back to Chris Licht, CNN. Look, I'm no fan of Chris Licht. He's a super leftist, a woke leftist. Uh, But this exposes, okay, the fact that he's gone. That means, that shows you that CNN would rather report fake news than and censor Donald Trump, then actually be a legit news organization, get ratings, and actually report the facts. The media, here's what the media is saying about Chris Licht. Uh, literally, this is comical. They say, Licht made a series of missteps. That's the line, a series of mistakes, a series of missteps in his time, in his tenure. He's been there for a year. Remember, Jeff Zucker was the head of CNN. Jeff Zucker retired, uh, resigned like a year ago. Chris Lick takes over, and CNN was a disaster. The ratings were abysmal. You had the whole mess with Chris Cuomo, Don Lemon, all the fake news reports. I mean, literally just one scandal after the next involving CNN. Okay, but this bogus narrative of how he made a series of missteps, no, it was one mistake, okay? Chris Lick's mistake, it starts with a T and it rhymes with bump, okay? So Licht realized that CNN's abysmal ratings are, number one, because of all the fake news. They have zero credibility, the the hosts are venomous woke radical leftists and they they just they're a fake news machine so, and, and and like by the way even the radical left doesn't watch CNN mostly because their IQs are not high enough they're busy like watching TikTok videos and they're busy watching music and listening to music they they just they simply have no interest or knowledge in in something like CNN has to offer but what's amazing is like i said Chris Licht what did he do? He gave Trump a platform, got tons of ratings, and CNN staffer said, no, 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 we want to tank in the ratings. They were livid. They'd rather have nobody watching and make up the news than give a platform to the former president. So think about that. You know, And uh, it's unbelievable how he was forced to resign just a couple of weeks after this town hall. And by the way, I understand that Trump and Trump's team got a huge amount of 
visibility of exposure. This was obviously a huge win for Trump and the way they had, they literally had Trump supporters in the audience. And Chris Litt said, he was quoted as saying this. He said, I'm not intimidated. We can actually have, we shouldn't be afraid of Trump supporters. There's a lot of them out there. Tried to defend that decision. And of course, it has backfired. All right, so I need to mention uh, Rabbi Leo D. I actually spoke with Rabbi Leo D. I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the story. You know, his family has been treated, when we're talking about CNN, right? Rabbi Leo D.'s family was treated disgracefully by CNN because he was interviewed back in April. This is, of course, following the tragic, horrific death of his wife and his two daughters, Hashem Yimkaim Demehen, after his wife and two daughters were horrifically gunned down by terrorist monsters. Uh, what happened was he was interviewed on CNN, and after the CNN host uh, finished the interview, she segued into another interview. She said, all right, coming up after the next break, uh, we will interview Palestinians. She basically segued into an interview with a Palestinian mother of a terrorist. That terrorist, I guess, was gunned down by Israeli police, neutralized, uh, trying to commit a terror attack. And she literally equated the two stories. She equated the story of the Deem family with the story of Palestinian terrorists who are gunned down and neutralized by the Israeli police. Okay, so the segment literally ended. This is back in April. The segment ended with CNN, London Bureau anchor Christina McFarlane saying, quote, just as we heard Rabbi D's story coming up, we'll hear similar stories from Palestinians. Similar stories, similar stories. Three innocent ladies gunned down, okay, is a, a, an equivalent story or a similar story to terrorists who are literally neutralized in the act of trying to kill innocent people. And CNN decided that those are, that they could equate those two things. It's just beyond reprehensible. And believe it or not, so Rabbi D actually, he wrote a an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post, like an open letter uh, to the head of Warner, not not to Chris Lick, but to the head of Warner, which owns CNN. And I'll just quote you here, just a small quote uh, from that op-ed, pretty brilliant op-ed. But he said, quote, I wrote to the head of your Israel Bureau, Richard Green, when I asked him, quote, do you think it's morally equivalent to compare what happened to me to what happened to the mother of a terrorist? And Richard answered, quote, Rabbi D, with great respect, you are making an assertion that I do not agree with. So literally, they are, you have CNN, literally the, the, the head of the Israel Bureau, the head of the CNN Israel Bureau, after this disgraceful, despicable treatment that Rabbi D got, that the D family got by CNN, equating their experience, the horrific tragedy that happened to them, equating that to what happens to the families of terrorists. Uh, and, and then they defend it. So it's not just like some, you know, like rogue, uh, news anchor saying something off the cuff. It, it, like it, this is literally their policy. This is literally their doctrine, CNN's doctrine. And, uh, no wonder they are, they are so, their rating, ratings are so abysmal. But, you know, Rabbi D ha is considering filing a lawsuit. Alan Dershowitz has, uh, volunteered to represent his family in a lawsuit, as has Ben Brofman. So we are going to keep an eye on that. England is trying out a new universal basic income program, new UBI program. You can't make this stuff up. It's a trial. This is a trial run, a dry run. They want to test out the results of UBI of universal basic income. So this UBI scheme is going to be run by some think tank, the autonomy think tank. They're going to give 30 people. They're choosing 30 people, going to give them a monthly stipend of 1,600 pounds a month without any string attack, free money. Right. And this pilot program, they're going to have this is this is why it's so bizarre. It's so comical. It's sad, really, 
they, they test this out. This is a trial run. So like one of the metrics, right? Like how do you gauge whether or not universal basic income is a success or a failure? Well, they're gauging it by, well, did the people do good stuff with their money? Did the people, did, 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 did having this extra money improve these people's lives? Well, of hello, like that, that's not the issue. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, of course they have more money, so they're going to buy more stuff. That doesn't, that's not a success. That's not the problem with socialism is that the people who get the free money are the ones who are in trouble. It's the ones who are giving away the free money. So yeah, let me just read you here. This, uh, this is going to give three, 30 people a monthly allowance of 1,600 pounds a month, no strings attached, free money. Okay. They're also going to have a control group that will not receive the money. I'm quoting you here. In order for the researchers to measure the impact of the money on the lives of the participants, Will Strong, the director of research at this think tank group that is running this UBI pilot program, says, quote, all the evidence shows it would directly alleviate poverty and boost millions of people's well-beings. The potential benefits are too large to ignore. Talking about universal basic income. So we've got to try this out. Like, we have incredible evidence here. If you give people free money, that's going to help alleviate poverty. Give poor people free money. Millions of poor people give them free money, and they're not going to be poor anymore. Well, that's incredible. We have to test this out. What an incredible theory. Give out free money to poor people, and that'll make them not poor. Uh, well, it's a no-brainer. Why are these conservatives, why are these crazy right-wingers so opposed to UBI? This is a brilliant scheme here. It's like, like it's like, it's a no-brainer. Just give them, the, 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 you have rich people, you have poor people. You have middle-class people. Well, give the poor people money, and that'll make them equivalent to the middle-class people. What is the data? And we'll even test it. Look, we'll test it out, and we're going we're gonna to follow. The people who we give the free money to, we're going to follow them and track, okay, well, what did they spend the money on? Did they buy more food? Did they have more clothing? Did they have more shelter? Like, the problem is the people giving the money. We have a control group. You know, you shouldn't have a control group. The, the, the groups you should be uh, studying are the ones who are, the, who are being forced to hand over money to poor people, the hardworking people who are forced to give money to the people who are not working. Okay, those are the ones who are suffering. It's like they don't get it. It's so bizarre. How do you gauge success? Well, how do you determine? Well, we're going to give the people free money, and then we're going to see, did they spend the money on stuff? Did they have a car or a television or appliances or they eat out more? Then the program is a success. Like, of course, they're going to have better lot. How do you define failure? Here's what I want to know. Like, what, what's failure? Like, if we're going to follow these people and see, did they actually spend the money we gave them? on stuff like what if they put the money in the bank like in in a savings account is that a failure I, like how do you even determine like what they, they, if they throw the money in the gutter then it's a failure it makes zero sense they don't even get it they literally don't get it or they probably do get it but like the whole thing is just a sham i understand but like this is how we're going to gauge success the control groups are the group getting the money and then there's going to be a group that doesn't get the money and let's see who fares better and, and like it, the issue is you're redistributing wealth from hardworking people, giving it to people with zero strings. Look at this. See, we told you. We told you socialism works because, look, they're healthier, they're happier, they're living better lives. You idiots, you right-wingers, you cruel, evil people. You don't want to give poor people money. You don't like socialism. Well, we have proven that it works. It's, it's unbelievable. And a caller recently left me a voicemail saying he heard, he heard Ocasio. He heard a clip of Ocasio-Cortez saying, you know, we have proof that socialism works because have you ever heard somebody say, the government is giving me too much money? That's, that's AOC's logic. Her rationale is, I've never heard, and this is not the parody AOC account. This was like actually AOC speaking, like in her own words, being interviewed. And she said, have you ever heard anybody complaining? The government gave me too much money. I've never heard anybody complaining and say, you know what? 
The government's giving me too much money. I don't want so much money. Like, so obviously socialism works. That's her litmus test. All right. So the FBI, Chris Ray, has allowed two members of Congress to view the document. Again, this is in a secure room. They couldn't bring any phones or cameras into the room. So they had to just look at the document themselves. It's not a classified document. It is not a classified document. There is zero justification for not releasing this document to the public, except that, of course, Christopher Ray is a dweller of the swamp and he wants to protect Joe Biden. And the, the FBI is always protecting Democrats like Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, criminals, you know, people like James Comey. So they, they let them view this document, one Republican, one Democrat, in this secret room, not able to take pictures, of course, and this document implicates Joe Biden in a massive bribery scandal. This document is the smoking gun. Joe Biden took millions of dollars from foreign governments and foreign operatives in exchange for political favors back when he was VP. So you had Jim Comer, head of the Oversight Committee, Republican, saw this document, and Jamie Raskin, who's a Democrat, uh, the ranking member of the committee. Okay, And here's how I know that the allegations are authentic. Here's how I know that this document says what we thought that it says, because... Jamie Raskin did not deny it. Jamie Raskin's the Democrat. He's actually the one defending Biden, and his defense is so pitifully weak. He's basically admitting that the document says that Biden took millions in bribes in return for political favors. It's unbelievable. So Comer came out and he said, well, look, this is a huge scandal. And he said, we need this document released to the public. And he said, we're going to hold Christopher Ray in contempt of, of Congress. And Jim Comer, with the backing of Kevin McCarthy, they have advanced um, a, a, a proposal to actually, you know, articles, I guess they call it articles of of, of contempt or whatever, but they, they're advancing the motion to hold uh, Christopher Ray, FBI director, in contempt of Congress. So that looks like, look, who knows, let's, let's wait and see, but it looks like they're planning to actually follow through. And uh, that's what Comer said. But what did Jamie Raskin say? That's even more interesting to me because he's the Democrat, right? So he's the one defending Biden. And he said, oh, well, this is only essentially said it's only a document. I'll read you his quote in a moment. But like, it's not proof. It's just hearsay. It's just it's just one informant. So like if the document did not say what we think it said, if the document did not actually say that there's a witness who told we we literally I mean, can you imagine if this were Trump? This is the scandal of the century where there's an FBI document. The FBI has been in possession of this document for years that an, an informant actually told the FBI that. He knew for a fact, and this is supposed to be a credible witness, by the way, that he knew for a fact that Joe Biden accepted millions of dollars in bribes in exchange for political favors from a foreign agent or from a foreign country or a foreign government. I mean, that is like a colossal scandal. I mean, it it literally makes Watergate look like jaywalking. And with Trump, they make stuff up and then report it for years as like this massive scandal. And with Biden, they're sitting on the scandal of the century, and it's literally the FBI is in possession of this document incriminating Biden. And like the, the media is ignoring this story. And Jamie Raskin says, well, this is not proof. I mean, it's just a piece of paper and it's just hearsay. So, like, I mean, but my point is if the document didn't say what we just told you, if it didn't say that Biden actually at least at least did not quote a source, there is a clearly a source that told the FBI, oh, by the way, Biden took millions in bribes. Otherwise, Jamie Raskin would be screaming from the rooftops. This this document doesn't say what, what, what they think it says. He's not saying that. He's saying, oh, well, you know, it's just one document. It's just one source. So no big deal. Here's the quote from Raskin. Quote, what we're talking about here is a confidential human source reporting a conversation with someone else. So it's secondhand hearsay. 
And he said the source had no way of knowing about the underlying veracity of the things he was being told. And they did whatever investigative due diligence was called for in that assessment period. Talking about the FBI found no reason to escalate it from an assessment to a so-called preliminary investigation. Yeah, because Biden's a Democrat. Don't you love that? I love that when when they use that justification, that excuse. They say, well, come on, the FBI, they took the statement from this informant and from this source and, and seemed to incriminate Biden. But then they never opened up an investigation. So obviously there's no there there. Obviously it's a nothing burger because why did the FBI not open? They, uh, they didn't open an investigation because he's Joe Biden, because as we know, they're in the swamp, they're the deep state. So they protect the Democrats. They've done it a million times. I mean, are you going to tell me Hunter Biden also? There's like no scandal because look, they haven't charged him with any crimes yet. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where, well, the FBI, if there was something here, they would have opened up. An, and by the way, according to Jim Comer, the FBI has reopened the investigation. It's an ongoing investigation into Biden. But like even that logic of Jamie Raskin, well, don't you think the FBI would be charging Biden with a crime if there was anything here of substance? No, that's the point. He's not Trump. They would not be charging him with any crime. By the way, they're saying that Trump is going to be indicted any day for uh, over the uh, classified document scandal, a Mar-a-Lago classified document scandal, which is not a scandal. It's a non-issue for a million reasons. The main reason being that Trump as president had the right to declassify any document he wanted. So by definition, by taking it out of the White House, by bringing it to Mar-a-Lago, that is an act of declassification. There is nothing in the Constitution. There is nothing in the legal books in terms of how the, pre- the president has every right to declassify any document he wishes. That's his, that's his right as president. That's his function. Okay, there is no specific process uh, given for how does the president declassify any sort of document, any sort of classified information or document. So the president, some say that just by thinking that it's declassified, that declassifies it. But there is no specific process. So wouldn't you think then by removing the documents from government property, bring it to his his own private residence in Mar-a-Lago, that would be a no-brainer. That's like, I would think the most logical way for the president to declassify a document. But meanwhile, how are they going to drive this with the fact that Biden, like it, like every service area, like on the New Jersey Turnpike, you basically find some corner somewhere with a box of classified documents left there by Joe Biden. I mean, they found it in his personal office. They found it in his garage with the Corvette. They found it at the Penn Biden Center. They found it in Chinatown. They literally found classified documents in, in, in an office in Chinatown in Washington, D.C., Chinatown, not the not the Penn Biden Center. Which, which, where actually there are connections there with China as well, but that's something related to the U.S. Penn. That's in Washington as well. But they actually found documents. This was confirmed by a Biden staffer, classified documents from the time that Biden was VP, left in Chinatown. Unbelievable. And Biden had no right, obviously, as VP, to classify anything, to classify a shopping list. So, and yet they're supposedly indicting Trump. And yet, of course, Biden, we're never going to see any indictments. And the FBI didn't even you know, carry out a raid like they did on Mar-a-Lago. All right. So we're going to keep an eye on all of that. Uh, New York City has set up vending machines which dispense free crack pipes. That is not a Babylon Bee headline. OK, that is a fact. It's being reported in multiple news outlets, including Fox News, The New York Post and elsewhere. New York City has set up and the Washington Free Beacon set up vending machines that will dispense and are dispensing free crack pipes. Okay, Democrats have installed vending machines which dispense uh, uh, drug paraphernalia, including free crack pipes. Health Commissioner Ashwin Vasan says that they're installing these machines in the city's 
worst drug-infested areas. No kidding. So if you see one of these vending machines giving out the free drug paraphernalia in your neighborhood, move, okay? Move to a different neighborhood because that you're in, it means that you're in a very, very bad neighborhood. These machines are going to have something called safer sniffing kits and safer smoking kits. Literally, I feel like I'm reading the Babylon Bee. I am not, sadly. Okay, and they just press the buttons, tell the zip code, and these things come out for free, don't have to pay. The, the, the government-run vending machines, okay? Well, they're giving out candy bars. Are they giving out soda? No, they're giving out drug kits. They contain Narcan, which is a drug used to prevent overdoses. They're giving out drug test strips, uh, safe smoking pipes, nicotine gum. And get this, the health commissioner says that in the future, these machines may also include syringes. A Washington Free Beacon investigation last year found that the Biden administration gave out harm what they called harm reduction kits. They have these kits that they gave out as part of their drug harm reduction programs to reduce the potential dangers that come as a result of people using drugs. And the Biden administration actually distributed free crack pipes. That's at least according to an investigation. Well, the Biden administration, of course, denied that, as we'd expect. But the Washington Free, free Beacon investigated it, and they found that they did distribute free crack pipes as part of the harm reduction program. All right, we need to talk about CUNY, the City University of New York. Several weeks ago, you may have heard Fatima Muhammad. She's a student at CUNY Law School. She delivered a commencement address. I mean, this was vicious. This was a vicious anti-Semitic, just, I mean, just despicable, disgraceful, anti-Semitic, just loaded, loaded with vicious anti-Semitism, this uh, commencement address delivered by the student Fatima Muhammad, who, by the way, has a long history on social media of just vicious, vicious anti-Semitism. And she says some things that are so nasty and vicious and just unspeakable, unthinkable. Okay, so here, let me just read you a quote here from her commencement address. Israel continues to indiscriminately rain bullets and bombs on worshippers, murdering the old young, attacking funerals and graveyards as it encourages lynch mobs. And she said a lot of other things. She accused Israel of racism, of being occupiers, murdering innocent people. And here's the thing. This is CUNY, okay? This is actually CUNY. This is a tax-funded, this is New York City's uh, publicly funded college university. So tax dollars, and not to mention all the federal funding, all the student loans and grants and everything else. So tax, which is all colleges, private or public, but this is a public college. So it's literally being fully funded by New York City. And then, of course, tuition comes from federal grants and federal uh, and federal student loan programs. By the way, Congressman Mike Lawler, who represents Rockland County, including the Muncie area, he has proposed legislation that would defund CUNY, that would defund any college that allows anti-Semitism and hate to be spewed, you know, to, to be spoken uh, as as part of its facilities, as, as you know, whether it's a commencement address or anything else on campus. OK, so he actually wants to defund, defund CUNY. We'll see if, you know, that legislation gains any traction. But it's unbelievable how you have CUNY Law School, the commencement address, literally, and Eric Adams blasted this Fatima Muhammad and uh, others have condemned her as well. But then you have a bunch of students and faculty in CUNY Law School who are defending her and saying this is not anti-Semitic. I mean, the things that she said were just completely, completely reprehensible. And here's what's amazing is the Democrats say, when we complain about this, the Democrats say, 
Well, what about free speech? They say Republicans are big proponents of free speech, except when it comes to something like this, then suddenly she has no free speech, right? Why do we want to suppress her freedom of speech? It's an absurd argument, and let me explain why. Because, yeah, she has freedom of speech. If she goes to a public park, if she goes to somewhere public or she's in her home or wherever, and she wants to spew this venomous hatred and anti-Semitism, let her go right ahead. I'm not thrilled about it, but I wouldn't stop her. That is protected by the First Amendment. But we don't have to pay for it. We are paying. We are literally, our tax dollars are funding this. She said this as part of a commencement address. By the way, CUNY has a long history of being viciously anti-Semitic. So not to mention the fact, just do you realize, and they're sitting there they're cheering her on. So she, she's actually getting applauded by not only the crowd, the audience, the students, but by uh, CUNY Law School faculty who are sitting there on the stage as she's spewing this hatred. But like how mentally ill does she need to be? Like she's getting up at a commencement speech. It wasn't like a, a, an anti-Israel rally, a pro-Palestinian rally. This is a CUNY Law School commencement speech. And like this is her theme. She goes on and on for like nine minutes about Israeli so-called war crimes, about Israeli occupation and racism. Like you're graduating law school in a school in New York City, and you're obsessed with your hatred of Jews and of Israel. And by the way, we need to pay for this. Tax dollars are, are, are actually funding this insanity. So freedom of speech. What are you talking about freedom of speech? There's no freedom of speech that, that forces us, the taxpayers, to subsidize this insanity. All right. The RNC, Republican National Committee, they have released the details about the upcoming Republican debates, at least the first one. And they've released the criteria required to participate uh, in these debates. I don't believe that Trump is going to be participating because of one of these. He's got the money. He's got the, the poll numbers, obviously. You know, he's got the donors, obviously. But uh, there's another stipulation here. So there are three conditions here. Number one, you need to promise to support the eventual Republican nominee. In order to participate in this debate, the candidates need to take a pledge that they will support whoever ends up winning the Republican nomination. Now, Trump has said that he's not necessarily going to support whoever wins. As we know with Trump, Trump will never make that kind of pledge. What I find interesting is how do they enforce that? Anyway, so but they're going to require that pledge. I guess the pledge itself says something. Like, how do they enforce that? Like, what happens if Trump pledges that, or any candidate for that matter, pledges to support the eventual nominee, and then they choose a nominee. Let's say the nominee is Vladimir Putin. I don't know, but whatever. Let's just say they choose a nominee, and Trump or somebody says, actually, I changed my mind. I'm not supporting them. What are they going to do? Like, penalize them? Are they going to find them? I just don't get how they enforce that. But I guess the pledge itself is meaningful. But that's condition number one. Condition number two, candidates will have until August 21st to get, get to, to obtain donations from at least 40,000 contributors. 40,000 contributors. You need 40,000. They want these small donors. They feel that that's a big edge that Democrats have. So you need at least 40,000 donors, contributions from at least by August 21st. And number three, and you need at least 200 unique donors in 20 different states. So you can't just like get them all from like one, uh, you know, one one red state, one deep red state. And number three, they need to poll above 1% in either three national polls or two national polls and one state poll. The first debate is scheduled for August 23rd in Wisconsin. The candidates who are shoe-ins to qualify are Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, and Mike Pence. The candidate who is not going to make the cut, most likely, is Chris Christie for two reasons. Number one, Chris Christie's polling is just abysmal. His, his polling numbers are abysmal. Number two, he has vowed that he would never support Trump. Chris, Chris Christie cannot stand 
President Trump. So he's not going to pledge, at least at least the odds are. You never know. Maybe he'll be desperate to get on the stage and on the debate stage, and maybe he'll change his mind. But as of now, but he may not have the polling threshold anyway. So we're going to keep an eye on that. By the way, a caller made the point. You know, we've been talking about the different strategies that DeSantis and other candidates can use to try to uh, take votes away from President Trump. Trump right now has a command. Trump is dominating. Trump has a commanding lead in in poll after poll, leading by at least 20 or 30 points. In some polls, leading by like 40 points. Um, DeSantis is a a distant second. And nobody else is even close. Nobody else is even breaking 3 or 5%. But, uh, you know, we were talking about potential strategies. And a caller said, listen, DeSantis should say... Trump's weakness was that he appointed very bad. The people that he appointed to different positions were a disaster. The Trump appointees, many of them, many of them were disastrous. And we'll go down the list here. So DeSantis can, and, and Trump like kept appointing members of the swamp. And look, you know, it's not easy because like you need to surround yourself with people who are who have some knowledge of Washington, D.C. and the White House and all of that. So but the problem is those people, they're part of the swamp, right? That's how they got there. To begin with. So it's very tricky to find somebody who has the experience needed. Trump couldn't bring in only outsiders. He needed some people familiar, right, you would think, with the landscape. So think of just Jeff Sessions, who turned out to be a disaster, recused himself from the Russia hoax, which was a nightmare. Mick Mulvaney, uh, Rex Tillerson, Sean Spicer, Anthony Scaramucci. Remember, like, the 10 days that he was actually the, the person, the communications director in the White House or something like that under Trump? That was a disaster. John Bolton was a total disaster, a train wreck, as we've hashed out many times. James Mattis as Secretary of Defense. So there was like one disastrous appointment after the next. There were some good ones, right? I mean, Mark Meadows, but that was just one. But there were, you know, there were others. But that was the point the caller made is like, listen, DeSantis should say, I'll appoint people who are going to be solid. They're not going to be swamp dwellers. They're not going to backfire. They're not going to, you know, basically turn around and revolt. And look, some people are going to say, well, it's not... The people that Trump appointed, like it's because Trump treated them the way he treated them. And that's why they turned around and kind of backstabbed Trump. I don't I don't buy that. We're not getting into that whole mess right now. But that's some people are going to say is that Trump's not easy to work with. I know he's not the easiest person to work with, but there are people who have been working for Trump. There are people who Trump fired, literally Trump fired. And then they turned around and said, look, he, he you know, he's a demanding person. He he has a very high standard, but that's on me. Like, I don't blame him for it. I respect him, you know, so and then I'll come back to work for him. But either way, uh, I, my point is the caller said that's the strategy DeSantis should use is say, I'm going to make better appointments than Trump. I don't think people care, honestly. I just don't think that that is something that's, you know, going to like persuade a lot of voters, sway voters, voters who say, look, Trump is what he is. So the people who love Trump, love him. That's never going to change. The people who do not like Trump, who dislike Trump. They're not going to change either. Okay, they're going to go to some other candidate. So now DeSantis's job, it's a very, very, very big hurdle, very big challenge is to take the people, the people who don't like Trump, they don't like Trump. And that's not going to change. They know what they're getting. And 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 they're they're saying no. But the people who support Trump at this point, after January 6th, after the, the classified documents, after that bogus indictment in New York City and like everything else that Trump has been through. Like, if, if if you still support Trump, then what could DeSantis possibly say to convince you otherwise? I don't know. You have to, like, out-Trump Trump. So I don't think that this is going to be the factor. Uh, Trump congratulated Kim Jong-un, and, like, the, rep, the, the, the Republicans are livid. You got DeSantis and Trump's other competitors livid that Trump uh, congratulated Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un 
was appointed uh, to be on the WHO executive board, the executive board of the World Health Organization, the bogus, the, the disgraceful World Health Organization, this egregious agency. And the Republicans are having a meltdown. How could Trump congratulate this evil dictator, Kim Jong-un, this communist, vicious dictator? And they're livid at Trump. Number one, nobody cares, okay? And like I said, the Trump supporters certainly don't care. But I don't think anybody really... All right, so Trump, Trump assuming he was serious... I'm not even sure. He put out this uh, truth, this uh, social media post congratulating Kim Jong-un. And I'm not sure if he was serious or he was being sarcastic. But assuming that Trump was serious, I don't think that anybody uh, cares very much one way or the other. And I'm not I'm not defending Trump. I'm not condoning. I think it's wrong to congratulate Kim Jong-un. But the bigger picture, the problem is that like DeSantis, Nikki Haley and whoever else, they're focusing on. Trump, well, like the focus here should be on the WHO, on the UN. The focus should not be on Trump. So, yeah, was Trump maybe out of line for congratulating Kim Jong-un, assuming he was serious? Probably, yes. But what Trump is bringing out here is the real lunacy, which is that the WHO, which is likely responsible for millions of COVID deaths, by the way, was in cahoots with China. Okay, literally was complicit in China's cover up of COVID and in the spreading of COVID, which the WHO could have literally prevented that spread, okay, if, if they weren't an accomplice. So that same WHO is now in cahoots with Kim Jong-un, and yet who's DeSantis slamming? He's slamming Trump. He's not slamming the WHO. Like, there's something just a little bit uh, wrong with that, if you ask me. And yet, and Biden, by the way, forget the WHO, you should be slamming Biden, because Biden, Trump defunded the WHO. Trump said, we're getting out of the WHO, and what did Biden do? Biden said, no, I'm restoring funding, we are jo- rejoining WHO. WHO literally spread COVID around the world, helped China spread COVID. They ran interference. They ran cover for China. And Biden is in cahoots with the WHO, who is now in cahoots with, in addition to China, with Kim Jong-un. All right. President Biden is celebrating. You cannot make this stuff up. This is so insane. President Biden is celebrating a decrease in illegals crossing the border. And they're like rubbing it in our face, acting as though that they're, they're somehow preventing illegals from crossing the border illegally. And the whole thing, it's literally a KGB tactic. It's a Soviet-style tactic where they're literally twisting the fact more people are crossing the border illegally than ever before. There's been a surge. And, and yet Biden is not only lying about it, but they're celebrating, saying, oh, we have fewer illegals crossing than we've had in years. Listen to, you got to listen to this. So Biden is celebrating a decrease in since Title 42 expired. Remember, Title 42 expired, and we told you, we predicted accurately, by the way, that there would be a surge in illegal border crossing because Title 42 expired. So Biden is saying, and the White House is saying, no, 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 no. There's actually been a decrease and patting themselves on the back and, uh, you know, get like high-fiving each other and doing cartwheels. But it's a lie. It's fake news because the reason there's a, there is a decrease. Technically, technically, there's no decrease because they're crossing illegally. I'm going to explain. But the reason that they're saying there's a decrease is because they changed the rules. So now there there are more people than ever crossing illegally. But Biden is saying, oh, no, they're actually coming across legally. The whole thing, is, it's, it's a sham. It's literally a sham. They're saying you expected a surge. Ha, ha, ha. The surge never came. You guys were wrong. You guys were alarmists over nothing because it turns out that thanks to our policies, there has been a decrease in illegal border crossing, not an increase. Why? Because Biden made it legal. He made it legal, even though it's not legal, but he's claiming that it's legal. They did some kind of rule change. I mean, it, it's literally, it, it's, a, it's an optical illusion. So what happened was they're saying that unlawful entries have decreased 
by more than 70% since May 11th. That's the, the, the DHS said last week. And what they did was they have uh, developed a historic expansion of legal pathways and processes. This is what they're saying is, no, we've expanded the, and it's not, it's illegal. It is 100% illegal. But they're saying that we have created new legal pathways. So you think that it's illegal, but they're actually coming across legally. Well, what did they do? So, by the way, just as you get the numbers over here, the number of non-citizens arrested after crossing the border has gone down from more than 11,000 a day in April and early May to about 3,700 arrests. Um, And they should be embarrassed. Like, they should be hiding this because, like I said, the whole thing is a sham. You know what it's like? It's like saying, oh, yeah, well, there are fewer arrests for murder. The arrest number of arrests for murder are way down. Well, why? Because we've actually made it legal to kill somebody, which, by the way, sort of what's happening in New York City. But that's what this is like, because they're touting this as a victory and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. They're saying, oh, you said there'd be a surge. There's no surge. The Biden administration attributed the drop in illegal border crossing to its implementation of new legal pathways that made would-be illegal border crossers able to apply through a new channel instead of entering illegally. It's unbelievable. What they did was they created an app. They developed an app. And they said, if you make an appointment with this app, then you come across the border, then it's legal. It's still illegal. Okay, the app doesn't make it that now they can suddenly come across legally, but they, they get a hold of this app, make the appointment, and now suddenly illegal crossing becomes legal crossing. Magic, there you go, wave your magic wand. It's it's no longer le- illegal, now it's legal. Basically, this new program, it lets them apply for entry using this app, and the Biden administration expanded the program to allow 40,000 illegals. Starting in June this month, 40,000 illegals per month are allowed to just use this app. Well, See, but you're not allowed to cross the border. There's a whole immigration process. If somebody wants to come into the United States and legally with a visa from Europe or Asia or whatever... They have to go through this whole process. But if you're coming from Mexico, you just need this app and then you're good. OK, so they're breaking the law, but they have an app and they're, and they're making an appointment. And Biden magically said, oh, 40,000 people. So you could just make an appointment on the app and you're good to go. Between January, when this program launched, they launched this program in January, but then they expanded it significantly, dramatically um, in June. So between January and April, over 79,000 migrants have scheduled appointments using this app called CBP-1. Ken Paxton, uh, Texas Attorney General, he said, quote, the Biden administration deliberately conceived of this phone app with the goal of illegally pre-approving more foreign aliens uh, to allow them to enter the country, go where they please once they arrive. Joe Biden, Alejandro Mayorkas, and the entire administration have prioritized creating and protecting new ways for illegals to stream into this country, end quote. It's, and that's in addition, by the way, that 30,000 migrants are transported into the United States per month via a separate humanitarian parole program for if they're coming from Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Venezuela. And by the way, this new app offers an exception. If it's not possible for these illegals to access the app due to extenuating circumstances or technical failure, and apparently it's very glitchy, then they're allowed to come in even without making an appointment with the, with the app. Mayor Eric Adams, he wants to send illegals to houses of worship. He's going to pay houses of worship uh, to host illegals. It's unbelievable. We can't make this stuff up. And he wants to pay private homeowners to host illegals. Under this plan, families would be paid by the city to host illegals in their private homes. Can you imagine this? Hey, listen, we're going to pay you. You want to, you know, you have a spare bedroom somewhere for this illegal, this nice illegal to sleep? Well, no problem. We will give you money. Um, here, what did Adam say? Quote, these are residents, there are residents who are suffering right now because of economic challenges. They have spare rooms. <laughs> they have locales. So 
We'll solve two problems at once. You have these people who can't afford to buy bread and eggs in New York City. And we have all these illegals. We have nowhere to put them. So we'll just pay the people with the homes who are struggling to just use their spare bedroom to host illegals. Well, what about Gracie Mansion? Does Eric Adams have any spare bedrooms in his home? And Adams did not say how much the city is going to pay. But with Houses of Worship, New York City, Adams has announced New York City will pay Houses of Worship $125 per night for each asylum seeker. And that's cheaper than the $380 it costs to put up a migrant family in one of its shelter hotels. Shelter hotels. You got to love that. These hotels are no shelters. These hotels are very, very fancy and luxurious. All right. Iran has been named vice president of the U.N. General Assembly. I mean, this is so messed up. The U.N. is the most despicable organization on the planet. They're, and here they're worse than Kim Jong-un. And that's not hyperbole. The U.N. is worse than Kim Jong-un because at least Kim Jong-un is, is transparent. OK, we know what we're getting. We know what he's all about. He doesn't hide it. But the U.N., they pretend to be like this good organization. They pretend to actually be helping the world. And all, all they are, they, they, they are literally the source of, of, of massive humanitarian abuse. I mean, human rights abuses like the, the U.N. is just just pure, pure evil. Um, meanwhile, all right, the Israeli foreign ministry said that this was a shameful decision by the U.N., quote, in addition to murdering its own citizens, attacking innocents around the world and racing toward a nuclear weapon with the goal of wiping Israel off the map, Iran will now serve in a senior U.N. position. In addition, the U.N. has placed Iran in charge of a forum, get this, of a forum that will be focused on human rights. Okay, the U.N., Iran has been placed in charge, in charge. They are leading a U.N. forum that will focus on human rights. Okay, Uh, Iran, literally, they are leading a U.N. forum to promote human rights using technology. So uh, it's just I have no words. I literally there are no words. Iran, vice president of the General Assembly for the next year, Iran heading, heading up a program to promote and defend and protect human rights. The evil, evil, heinous, monstrous, subhuman animals running Iran. Like, like they're in charge of this. They're in charge of promoting human rights for the U.N. Where's the media? Where's Biden? Where's any sane, rational? There's got to be one sane, rational human being who's, who's actually a Democrat who will call out the U.N. over giving Iran this pedestal to promote human rights, letting Iran whitewash their evil, vicious, heinous ways. I, 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 I don't know what what more could you possibly say? All right. That's going to do it for today. And we will see you next time.